Section 15 of Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual by F. Matthias Alexander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3. Sensory Appreciation in its Relation to Man's Needs. Chapter 1. Quote-unquote, Knowing Oneself. Those who give thoughts to the present trend of human endeavor in political, social, industrial, and other spheres will recognize that our times are out of joint, and many of them will admit that the masses living in this disjointed time are more or less out of communication with their reasoning. In the midst of this unrest and uncertainty, the individuals composing the masses are struggling blindly for their individual betterment, without any clear understanding of the cause or causes of their difficulties, or of the fundamental principles which constitute in application the satisfactory means whereby these difficulties may be prevented or overcome. Man, know thyself, is an old axiom, but in my opinion the more fundamental one is man, know thy needs. Of course, it may be contended that he who knows himself knows his needs, and that to know one's needs implies knowing oneself. But the contention does not apply to that great majority of human beings whose sensory appreciation is unreliable. We have seen that reliable sensory appreciation is essential to that coordinated psychophysical growth and development of the individual, which is fundamental to the satisfactory psychophysical growth and development of the mass, and, this being so, in order to secure this growth and development of the mass, it is essential to command the means whereby of recognizing and supplying the real needs of the individual. Unfortunately, our attempts to supply and satisfy these needs in the educational, social, political, economic, industrial, religious, and other spheres have proved up to now more or less of a failure and this is due in a great measure to the fact that our efforts on a subconscious basis have been directed chiefly to evolving methods of teaching, treatment, conduct, guidance and control to meet the demands of the mass instead of making the primary application of the principle or principles involved an individual application on a conscious basis. The foregoing leads us to a consideration of plans for human development and endeavor on the conscious and subconscious planes of life, and of the relative possibilities for advancement on each of these planes. On the subconscious plane, the orthodox plan has been, and still is, to attempt to eradicate physical defects and peculiarities by means of physical culture, exercises, etc., mental shortcomings and idiosyncrasies by means of the different cults for mental training, specific systems for the development of memory, will, and so on. Investigation will show that the deductions concerned with the adoption of such methods were made from wrong premises. The fundamental principle of conscious guidance and control in the development and growth of the creature being ignored. Furthermore, it will be found that where quote-unquote physical and mental methods are employed, any apparent gain will be in a specific sphere and accompanied by harmful cultivated defects of which the teachers and pupils are ignorant, but which sooner or later reveal themselves and gradually become established as habits. 
The progress made in recent years in what is called psychological knowledge leaves no room for doubt that human beings are too often unaware of their most striking psychophysical defects, peculiarities, and tendencies, which in such cases have not risen, as we say, to the sphere of consciousness. Before we can make any real attempt to reach a satisfactory state of awareness in this connection, that is, to know ourselves, we must cultivate, in connection with our psychophysical development, an increasing use of the process of reasoning in conscious endeavor, and having reached the satisfactory standard of readjustment and coordination through the establishment of a new and reliable sensory appreciation, we must proceed to put into practice this satisfactory conscious use of the psychophysical mechanism in every act of daily life. The reader who becomes familiar with the principles of the special technique which has been evolved to meet these demands will realize that knowing oneself is part and parcel, as we say, of the process, and a knowledge which will increase and keep pace with the development in conscious psychophysical guidance and control. This knowledge should be the foundation of the act of living in all spheres, and will be so when the education and general development of children is built upon the principles of constructive conscious control. On this principle we can continue to raise the standard of knowing oneself, and this is the surest way of raising the standard of everything else we know, and of securing satisfactory results in all spheres of learning. A friend of mine, who wanted to impress me with his rights to be considered an authority on up-to-date psychology, admitted that he based his claim on his intimate knowledge of human history, which he had acquired by long and careful study of the works of eminent historians. This belief gave him such satisfaction that I could not find it within me to suggest to him that the real history of human endeavor, as a guide to up-to-date psychology, has not been written by the historians, in fact, that it has yet to be begun, and that one does not dare to speculate as to the date of its possible completion. When I write of human endeavor, I mean individual human endeavor in connection with individual development and growth. And therefore, from any real history of human endeavor, we must eliminate the record of man's activities in wars and other spheres in which he is swayed chiefly by the herd instinct, where the example, good or bad, or the command of one person, is immediately followed by the rest as an unthinking, unintelligent, automatic mass. I am quite prepared to admit that the history of human beings in wars and other spheres of massed activity is of great interest to many people, but it is of infinitesimal interest or value, particularly where man's future is concerned, as compared with that of the individual efforts of the human creature struggling daily to find a solution of the flesh and blood difficulties which directly concern his well-being. These difficulties are the natural consequences of his endeavors to adapt himself to ever-changing psychophysical conditions, and of his attempts to evolve from the uncivilized to the civilized state in accordance with his early established subconscious conceptions of educational and general development. This is equally true of the everyday development and general experiences of ordinary men and women in every sphere of human activity. 
For we are beset with contending and disorganizing forces in the working of the psychophysical organism of each individual, inasmuch as we are developing so-called mental processes at a rapidly increasing pace never before experienced, whilst attempting to employ them side by side with so-called physical processes, which for years have become less and less satisfactorily controlled and directed, the result being a lowering of the standard of psychophysical coordination. The long line of daily difficulties with which we are now beset is only equaled by the series of shattered hopes that have followed each subconsciously directed, specific and gaining attempt to bring about a solution to these difficulties. Each failure makes the meat it feeds on, and the trial and error method of the ape has been persistently adhered to despite the fact of its failure in most civilized spheres. I will now deal from this point of view with certain systems of education and development which hold public attention at the moment, and which were designed to meet certain difficulties and defects, and I will endeavor to show that the hopes of those concerned cannot be justified, because these systems were conceived on a specific basis, and because the processes involved in their practical application call for reliance only upon subconscious experience for direction and control. We have reached a stage in our evolution when we should refuse to consider the merits or demerits of any new system of education or development which is not built upon a conscious basis. One of these systems has been taken up in recent years by a number of people in England and America as a new and valuable form of education, but as the principles involved are simply those which were employed by the circus trainers of our grandfather's time in training horses to perform evolutions to music and at the change of music to change the step, etc., in a discussion of general psychophysical development on a basis of reasoning control, it can be put out of court and dismissed without further comment. Another system has been hailed as a new and progressive movement, and is well known for the special claim that is made for it in connection with its value in the development of the young child's senses of sight, feeling, taste, hearing, touch, etc. An organized series of materials, or educative toys, provides the technique for this attempted sense cultivation, but it will be realized by anyone who has watched the classes of children at work that it is again a specific and not a general development that is aimed at in this technique. A fatal mistake when we consider the interdependence of what have been differentiated as mental and physical in the human organism. It is quite possible that a child, by using this material, may gain a certain facility in the use of its hands, or a specific development, say, of the sense of touch. But if, in making the movements necessary to the particular occupation in which he is engaged, he is relying upon the guidance of an imperfect sensory appreciation in the general use of his organism, it must follow that any specific improvement in the sense of touch will be accompanied by a use of his psychophysical mechanism, which, faulty to start with, will become more and more faulty the harder he tries or the more absorbed he becomes in working subconsciously for his end. Footnote. See the chapter on concentration. End of footnote. 
Although a specific improvement may take place in one direction, many more serious defects in the use of his mechanism as a whole will be cultivated in the process. It has been my experience that children who have had a specialized training such as this in their early years have exhibited more than the usual number of psychophysical defects and imperfections, that their sensory appreciation has been more than usually unreliable, and anyone who has followed my argument for the earlier pages will see that this must be the case where any specific development has been sought and achieved on a subconscious basis. The interdependence of the mental and physical, and of the muscular mechanism in general in psychophysical acts, has long since been recognized in theory, and yet methods of education aiming at specific development remain the vogue. Footnote. A striking instance may be mentioned in connection with re-education. Some 40 years ago, well-known scientific men in France recognized the value of re-education and adopted forms of re-education on a specific instead of a general basis, and I am informed that this obtains even today. The principle involved has been dealt with in man's supreme inheritance, and those acquainted with the facts and arguments employed will appreciate the relative value of general as against specific development or treatment of any kind. And a footnote. As a matter of fact, in connection with this very question of the specific development of a particular sense, it is now a well-recognized fact that the sense of sight, for instance, is greatly affected by the quote-unquote muscle pulls of the organism in general, and this applies where all the senses are concerned. For many years past, we have had practical proof of the improvement that can be effected in the sense of sight of pupils who have been re-educated and coordinated on a general basis of conscious control. In every case, this improvement has followed a general improvement in the coordinated use of the whole organism. This is the point which must always be emphasized by those advocating the claims of free education and coordination on a general as against the claims of free education and coordination on a specific basis. The person with defective sight will have quite a number of other psychophysical defects, and free education on a general basis must precede any attempt at specific free education. This applies in the case of the person with defective use of the organs of speech, defective use of the arms or legs, or any other defect, peculiarity, or shortcoming. In the case of children, if they were re-educated and coordinated on a plane of conscious control, 75% of the ordinary sense imperfections and difficulties with technique would never be encountered by teachers working in educational and other spheres. It does not require any special degree of intelligence to realize the tremendous amount of time and energy that would be saved if we adopted the comprehensive and constructive principles herein involved and applied it to all forms of human development and general growth in our attempts to ensure a progressive civilization. The satisfactorily coordinated child in a plane of conscious control will be possessed of a psychophysical mechanism which will tend to function to the maximum in all spheres in accordance with the standard of coordination reached. With such conditions present, the teacher can draw from the child the very best that the particular psychophysical organism functioning adequately is capable of giving, 
and can also be confidence of a more or less increasing improvement without the undue excitement of the fear reflexes and without undue effort. Think, on the other hand, of what will be the harmful psychophysical effect on a child beset with all the impeding factors resulting from a condition of bad coordination if, when learning to write, for instance, it takes up its pencil to use it for the first time and holds it with strained and cramped fingers, this being the result of a harmful condition of stress and strain in the general use of the psychophysical organism. Even if the teacher does not point out directly to the child that its use of the pencil is not what it should be, the child will probably be conscious of a lack of control and of being below the ordinary standard of success with its writing. Sooner or later, however, the teacher will endeavor to improve the child's writing, and he may succeed up to a point, but it will be a very poor result as compared with the standard that might be attained if the child were first re-educated and readjusted, and thus enabled to hold the pencil without the general imperfections to which I have referred. I have already stated that I am prepared to prove that when the usual methods on a subconscious basis are employed to establish a condition or to eradicate a fault or defect, quite a number of others, often more harmful than the one in the process of eradication, are developed. At recurring stages, therefore, of our attempted progress and development, we are confronted with new and increasing difficulties calling for eradication, which we have actually cultivated in educational and other processes. I shall now point out different attempts that have been made in the educational process to counteract by specific means the retarding influences of certain peculiarities and defects, manifestations which have themselves been developed by this same educational process. A little thought will enable the reader to discern the developing complications inseparable from such a process. In fact, this process becomes operative as soon as the child goes to school, for the experiences gained at school too often lead to complications if from the beginning the child is functioning near to its minimum than to its maximum. The methods of training, etc., actually make for complications in consequence of the numerous specific attempts which are made to remedy the many defects or shortcomings which are recognized in the child's efforts, most of which defects, however, would not have manifested themselves if the child's psychophysical functioning had been satisfactory when it entered the school. The establishment, therefore, of this condition should be the first consideration of any sound educational plan. To attempt to educate an imperfectly coordinated child by dealing in a specific way with specific defects or shortcomings is an unreasoning process, especially when we take into consideration the important part which is played in a child's life by the process of imitation. We will now go on to consider this point. End of section 15